0: and this is Eating Cape. It's Sunday, November 22nd, and we are coming to you through the technological wizardry of Anchor and Skype, and uh, we've got a lot to talk about today. We've got a few axes to grind, so how are you doing, Ruth? I'm well. I'm well.
1: I've I pulled back from politics just in the last week or two to try to finish my novel and all the editing, plus I work full-time. It's been really busy at work, but uh, I'm ready to go.
0: Yeah, so do you want to start with, like, your news pieces, or do you want to start, do you want me to start? Where, um, where should we start today?
1: Well, um, let's have you start, and I'll just uh, introduce the land acknowledgement mm-hmm. that we are on sacred land that uh, the Salish people have managed from time immemorial, and hopefully one day they will rise up and become leaders again, and and be able to take uh, more leadership in the land management.
0: Yeah, for sure. And um, I don't know if you heard about this, but there's somebody. Yeah. There was some. Man mm-hmm. on Orcas Island who actually, re-do- I believe, donated his land back to oh. um, the Lummi. This was some months ago. I did hear about that. Yeah, yeah I read the actually, headline. It was like, that's exactly what we need to be doing. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's the kind of movement to give land back as part of the decolonization effort. Yeah and i because we have such a dysfunctional relationship to the land in terms of thinking about it in terms of private property constantly creating spaces of enclosure where people don't have access to uh-huh. public space where they don't have access to just waterfront i mean like i i think vashon is i think as a great example of where you can't there's really no place to go by way of the water because everyone has just gobbled it up in terms of private property. I so, know
1: we see land through the, the lens of capitalism. So, um, it's funny cause I did my thesis on sacred space and, in, in land and images in, in film and people generally only see land as valuable if it has uh, resources they can use and usages yeah. they can get out of it. So, um, the land isn't considered sacred in and of itself. So that's a major difference, as I'm sure you know.
0: (laughs) Yeah, 100%. I mean, (laughs) just the whole, I'm talking about waterfront views, but again, that kind of mentality of resource extraction goes, I mean, if you think about it, Um, The mentality of extraction goes straight on through from the land, the way we treat the land, to how we treat people, to how we treat animals in terms of we can talk about it in terms of resource extraction from human resources to animal resources. We talked about this before in terms of the way pigs uh, in that Intercept article, pigs were described, you know, the way they were going through a depopulation process, which is which is, essentially is a mass extermination process back in, I think that was July, August, it was earlier this year. So this idea of resource extraction really ties to um, what I wanted to talk about today a little bit, because I literally just found out this morning, um, a friend of mine, Melina, she sent me uh, uh, a recording on Mixcloud about how there's a sit-in here where we live in this in oh, yeah. uh, Bellingham, Washington, about um, the there's about a, a hundred-person sit-in, which is significant because this is a small a small mm-hmm. city, mm-hmm. a hundred-person sit-in um, about occupying the B- B- Bellingham city hall because of the quote unquote housing crisis mm-hmm. here in Bellingham, Washington. So um, that's an ax I'd like to grind today because sure. there really shouldn't be, there should be no housing crisis in Bellingham. Um, Same as
1: Seattle. Yeah. Um, we had a sit in a year and a half ago, uh, at city hall. And, uh, I think it was like, uh, about two years ago. Um, same thing. So sorry yeah, to
0: no, I'm glad you did. I just, I just want, I'm glad you even brought up the fact that there was a, a sit in here in, in the Seattle area. I remember, um, reading about that and I wanted to say, you know, this housing crisis is manufactured. It just, it doesn't, ah. it doesn't really exist, um, really, because if you can afford to build these mixed-use houses that are popping up all over Creation here, in Fairhaven, in, uh, you know, in downtown Bellingham, and all these places, then you can actually fucking fix this housing crisis. It's, it's a matter of capital that it's a fixation on the accumulation of wealth. Um, I used to work with with a couple different organizations here as an employee where people, where I witnessed people being incarcerated, um, using jail as an option because they had nowhere to go. And these were young people. I remember one one youth in particular I worked with, who literally walked out into the middle of the street and disrupted traffic because yeah. uh, this youth had nowhere to go. And creating, you know, disrupting the peace with the misdemeanor was a way for him to actually just get some housing, housing, quote, yeah. unquote. I, th- um, I think there's shelter. A,
1: yeah, I think there's a slang term it, for it. Three cots, three squares and a cot.
0: Three squares and a cut. I haven't heard that. That's yeah. There you and there you have it. It's yeah, standard hard. It's a standard issue kind of like way to strategize the quote unquote housing crisis. So this is something that um you know, I have a lot I'm not gonna say, I'm not gonna lie, I have a lot of animosity around this. I think it's really disgusting, it's immoral and just the all of the things I've personally witnessed as someone working in community mental health, um, as someone working in who's worked in social services at you know the managerial and the directorial level, it's just it's it's disgusting, and people get really um, desensitized to this process of uh, of housing. In not just in the United States in general, but these liberal cities that continue to profess that they are liberal. I know when the you know, again, this tokenization of rhetoric, they profess that they are liberal. They profess that they are for the people. And meanwhile, I have seen for years people sleeping on the streets, defecating on the streets. And it's not their fault. This is a problem of people not creating situations for people to live in humane conditions, and it's really disgusting. So, mm-hmm. you know, I could I can go on around that. That's but all right. It's I my turn will, to rant. I want you to rant. <laughs> so please do.
1: No, um, I agree. It's it's absolutely immoral. Um if we put away all our conditioning and training that says some people are worth more than others, which is really how capitalism works that you amass this capital. So, and it means you're worth more and that if somebody doesn't have the means, let them sleep on the street, let them die of hep C, you know, all these other conditions and and it's cruel and it's unjust. And, um, You know, I think hopefully enough of us will talk about it in this way so that people can understand. Um, One way that we really see the cruelty is, uh, I don't know if you've noticed this, but the benches over the years have changed. Now there's um, spikes on benches, especially in England, which is actually supposed to be like a modified democratic socialism Spikes on the benches so that the homeless can't sleep on them. Spikes where in corners people would sleep. And here, maybe they don't put spikes on benches, but they'll divide them into sections. They'll make it Mm -hmm. so that you somehow can sit, but you can't lay down on them. Because God forbid that you should help a person uh, have a, a night's sleep. I mean what kind of society are we where we're going to actually help people like that? And I don't know if you can tell I'm being extremely sarcastic, but it really makes me super mad because this whole idea of worth, in fact, it, it leaks into every area of life. This um, in capitalist America, um, Fau- Fauci, is that how you say his name? Dr. Mm-hmm. Fauci, he was talking about who was going to get the vaccines Mm-hmm. first and he said of course the people who are at risk healthwise and the elderly are going to get them and then he was very like general and said of course and then there will be people who how I don't know what he put have standing in society or have some importance in society
2: mm-hmm. <laughs> and of
1: course they probably mean all of the capitalists are going to get the vaccines uh, before what he termed as the regular population, <laughs> right? The great unwashed.
0: The you great know, like, unwashed. We talked. We talked about this. <laughs> the proletariat nice. and the lumpen. You know, So, so I. I want to go back. <laughs> you know, I know we could go down the rabbit no, no, hole no. of a yeah. vaccine and like who's going to get it and all of, all no, of that. No, I just I mean, mentioned
1: it to illustrate this whole horrid idea of the worth of people being based on their socioeconomic status.
0: No, I'm glad you brought it up. I actually think it's so important, but I just didn't want to forget that <laughs> no. train of thought because that's a whole other thing we could grind on today, like around, like right. having an axe to grind. But um,
1: and let me real quick just yeah, talk please. about the Seattle. Um, that was a couple years ago. Um, it was before the whole pandemic and Shama Sawant led it. It was a sit in at Capitol or at the Seattle city hall in a sleepover. And I think there were five or 600 people there. I was there all night. We all stayed the night and we just like slept in mass on the floor. And it was like, but it was such a feeling of solidarity. And it was really necessary because even though Seattle is one of the considered liberal cities, and we have Jenny Durkin as the mayor who not only is a lesbian, which is considered like very liberal, but she was in Obama's uh, cabinet, but in truth, in truth, it seems like all the liberals, including like the one we just elected as president, they're gonna continue the policies of like um, war and um, business first and then uh, uh, cruelty against the poor and poverty and it just makes me really upset
0: yeah I mean like they're I mean basically they're what we've got is you know from my perspective Reagan and Thatcher on steroids you know in terms of the politics of the United States but um You know the housing "quote unquote" crisis is an example of the manufacturing of crises, um, and then blaming people who can't afford housing for their problems. So this is again, you know, the. I mean, I, you know, I was looking at the, the the real estate market here, you know, in in the Bellingham area. So for example. Uh, a house that is quote unquote a fixer upper, like you know needs some TLC but is livable, the average, you know, that's around four hundred and seventy five five hundred thousand dollars here right now. And then the nicer um, places, in places like Fairhaven, um, which is kind of like a retiree kind of mecca people who live in a a bucolic idyllic existence, you know, make no mistake. It's really nice. It's a nice place to, Mm -hmm. to exist. But at the same time, there's this fantastic wealth disparity between, you know, this particular area where people can live in this bucolic waterfront setting. And at the same time, there's, there's people like, Fucking living on the streets and also in terrible um, conditions, right? And people who have mental health, you know, crises, you know, because of the fact that they've just been precarious and, you know, lack insecure housing and just, you know, are denied a decent level of existence. So I am just, I'm put out. I mean, like I've said for years now. I've lived in cities pretty much my entire life. Cities have been run by the Democratic Party, and Mm -hmm. what they've done is basically done nothing nothing, but but actually gentrify and create more destabilization for you know minor you know BIPOC communities for you know people who are disenfranchised regardless of race. But these things absolutely. Affect um, you know you know people of color communities more than anyone else. So yep. it's a really disgusting way to run the to to run cities, disgusting way to run the country. Um, I this is not I do not believe that this is about ignorance or blindness. This is really just fundamental class warfare. And the goal basically, you know, like I was reading something this morning where basically on that same mixed cloud, I'm going to see if I can find it. Um, after a one, one week um, occupa- the occupational protest, it's called 210 Camp. After one week, the city has only agreed to provide a hand washing station. A dumpster and two portable toilets to the macrocosm, to this macrocosm of the houseless community in Bellingham, and has yet to approve additional sheltering. Yeah, of course they're not. Because if they actually make any concession, they believe that they're gonna like create some like, you know, anti capitalist forces, so, you know, like <laughs> making like the most minimal, just a modicum of decency. You know, a modicum of decency, mm-hmm. you know, but again, that's because they don't serve the people. They serve capital, which is completely disgusting. Um, and I hope this goes on for 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 as long as they can do it. Like, I am in full support of this kind of, um, you know, protest, because if you, they're they want okay so i'm gonna try and articulate this in a different way also because there's just different ways to think about it like they part of the reason why drop-in centers exist you know why these you know these these small scale band-aid you know kinds of hey we're gonna help the houseless community we're gonna help you know you know these at risk populations is to basically give the veneer of like someone is doing something well mm-hmm. and fundamentally this too you know is part of this you know housing you know like these services for housings that too is part of that nonprofit industrial complex where it's more about the business of creating this idea that we're doing something as opposed to actually doing something. You know, people are in the business of creating this idea that they're going to, quote unquote, attend to diversity, equity, and inclusion. But what they've done is create a business that is about creating these ideas around diversity, equity, and inclusion. Similarly, people create these ideas about helping the homeless through social services, through X, through Y, through creating some cop-guide schemes about, you know, housing, when fundamentally it's more about the business venture of creating housing, which fundamentally doesn't work because they don't listen to the people in those communities who, and ask them what they need. You know, they think, you know, they, you know, we think that these things are done for this greater good, that they're done with this very um, uh, altruistic, you know, some of us are definitely more on the, the, the end of the cynical, you know, those of us who understand how these operations work, but This is about giving the image, the veneer that something is going on when really it's this, you know, it's this cosmetic device created to help people on this, believe in this propagandist notion that there's a housing crisis or there's nothing that can, nothing can be done for the poor or, you know, all of those things like that when fundamentally this is about who are you serving? Your master is capitalism. Your master yeah. is, you know, creating big business, you know, um, cons- you know basically these various kinds of agreements for large construction companies, but not about serving the people. And so that's why, you know, I'm down, Y'all do what you keep doing. I will support in the best ways I can. And I hope people just continue to occupy, sit in as as much as you can because nothing's going to be done until the vulgarity is exposed. You so know, that's I That's all I'm going to say right now.
1: No, I agree. <laughs> I think um, hopefully what the sit-ins do more and more is help people to see that because I agree that um, – that the solution it's a band-aid solution it's for optics it's just for optics Mm -hmm. and like uh what you said brings to mind how some communities have decided that instead of trying to do this band-aid approach that actually doesn't work they want to give uh for instance utah tried this approach where they would give um i think it was veterans but they would give uh people who had no housing, they would give them a place to stay and help. And they actually found it was more cost effective to do that than all these emergency room treatments or whatever they required. Um, and it helped them, and it, it was actually cheaper in the long run. And so that experiment that Utah did just shows how right you are, that that it's it's goes beyond just finding the cheapest or best solution that they're not interested in that, that they actually just want to divide everything up into property and become as rich as possible. And these homeless are just getting in the way of that.
0: (laughs) Well, that, yeah, you know, and, that's, I, you know, this is something, I mean, I it's just so interesting. It's so interesting to just be an eyewitness to, like, how shit goes down, you know, in social services and these, like, supposedly do-gooder, you know, organizations, because you know i remember one time i went for a job interview and it was in a, it was in one of these you know so liberal social service organizations and i one of the first things i saw was that there were all of these um tense, like, in front of this organization, and they're like, oh, yeah, you know, we really try to, you know, walk, walk the talk, you know, and we have, you know, we let, we let people kind of sleep out in front of, you know, the, the agency, because we want that, we not we want, we want them to have a, a space, you know, we want to make sure we're also sharing our space with them, and I thought. Well, that's all fine and good. But how much time are, are these organizations going to spend begging philanthropists for money to give people snacks, goodies, socks, and so forth, when really, instead of begging philanthropists for money, you should be out on the street actually protesting, actually using your voice to say, no, we're not going to ask philanthropists for more money that for, to provide services that are in alignment with what they think should be happening with the work in the world. What about actually giving people fucking housing? You know, like that's actually the issue, like not snacks, not goodies, you know, not, you know, Yes, of course, you know, some basic food and some toiletries will actually reduce momentary pain and also serves as a cosmetic, but fundamentally the issue is housing and the crisis that we have is not a housing crisis. It's the crisis of capitalism. It's the yep. crisis of class warfare. It's the crisis of not even trying, not even wanting to use what you're talking about, harm reduction strategies, you know, harm reduction strategies that have been used in Seattle and in Utah and has a huge, huge following overseas. But we just cannot get on board because why? This country is addicted to manufacturing crisis, you know, and that's why we love to manufacture wars overseas. That's why we love to talk about the opioid crisis. That's why we love to talk about the housing crisis, you know, the war on poverty, the war on drugs, you know, all of these are manufactured crisis. So we actually don't move towards a more equitable um, a more socialized model of taking care of the populations, taking care of real people. So, you know, it's all bullshit. I'm just letting you know now, like the crises that <laughs> are out it. there are manufactured. Trust me on this. I've seen crises manufactured because people want to do nothing but keep the status quo. So, you know. you know, what this
1: brings up yeah. in mind for me, I've been reading um, over the past few years, there's been times a few times in in here in America, but overseas, the homeless are starting to seize empty properties.
0: Yeah. They and should. that really
1: goes against a capitalist grain because they have this idea, this abstract idea of ownership, Um which hinders them from seeing reality as it is that there's people who need housing and have a right to housing. And so they don't see that. All they see is this abstract principle that everyone's learned from school on ages up, um, that certain people, if they can't do what they need to, to get housing, then that's their fault.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's, it's really, I mean, it's immoral. You know, it's immoral to basically blame people for not having housing when, for example, you know, here in this area in Bellingham, there's this um there's this predatory mentality around students and housing. And that's another it's another problem that I can't you know, I just I don't have enough information around it, but I know from what I've seen I can tell you right now there are people that I talk to who basically talk about how their landlords treat them like they want, you know, they want to sell the house that they're living in. So, you know, they won't give them, you know, the the amount of notice that they want that they should have and deserve to have as part of like is written in the tenants union agreement and so forth, but they basically use their power as landlords to intimidate tenants because people are so desperate to have a place to live. You know, they're renting a room and the house is being sold up from underneath them, which is like, you know, sure, you know, you, you're gonna sell your house, but actually have some decency and not and not shit all over your tenants, I mean, like it's just it's just nuts. it's totally no, I've nuts. read
1: about that too, and I think um the landlords are just not just uh shitting on their tenants, but it uh, imposes this uh hierarchy, yeah and there if a woman is single or single with with a child, she's really at the mercy of this landlord, and a lot of people have been taken advantage that way. Um, Plus, I also, I was thinking, this is all so correct, and a lot of progressives would agree. And, you know, what is the solution? I just, I want to ask you, but then I just want to offer, like, my thoughts on that real quick. Um, Yeah. So my, my idea was that, first of all, you've got all these empty houses, more empty houses than our homeless people. And so something needs to be done that's uh, bold. And I think when homeless are taking over the empty houses, that points to a solution. Also, I think this whole idea of what is a right uh, needs to be changed. I mean, housing is a right. I think at the very basic level in society, I think everyone should be guaranteed a small room. I think that should be something that is guaranteed, as well as uh, light, as well as healthcare. Those things should be guaranteed and uh, minimal food, so that uh, if a person needs it, it's always there. And and um, I think we have enough resources if we take away the billions and billions of dollars from the top one percent and redistribute it. It would be uh, doable uh that's just my thoughts but yeah. i'm interested to hear what your thoughts are
0: i don't disagree it's not <laughs> like you're, it's not like you're telling a lie there's so many different ways to actually resolve this issue there is so there are so many ways and but you know here we go people just running around in that hamster wheel you know, trying the same thing over and over, where you have that saying, if you repeat the same thing over, you try the same thing over and over, and it's not working. You know, it's a sign of insanity or whatever you want to call. So we're dealing with an insane, you know, administrative political climate that really just doesn't want to change. Um, They're, you know, they're actually out of touch with the material real conditions on the ground for people completely
1: out of touch
0: and want to want to continually talk about people's productivity for example like oh I, I mean I will never forget I will never forget this I was working at a jail and I was in a managerial tr- position um, doing doing a qualitative report and actually um, documenting what you know the people working at this jail was you know talked about in terms of the conditions that they worked in and the conditions that they found the inmates in the prisoners in and it was all about overcrowding It was all about we can't, we actually can't even do our jobs, you know, well, you know, in the context of this environment because we don't have enough staff. We don't have enough. So let alone, you know, I'm not even talking about prison abolition here, you know, because that's another thing that I could talk about for, for quite a long time. What I am talking about is the actual inhumane conditions within the context of this particular jail here in the Pacific Northwest and also the clinicians own documentation that things were inhumane and they didn't actually have enough staff to address all of the mental health problems that occurred within the context of the jail. So when I documented this, one of the administrators said to me, you know, well, I know my boss is going to want to quantify these things. So, you know, we're going to have to ask you to do an efficiency report, like how maybe, you know, the clinicians need to speed up. Maybe they're just not using their time wisely. Maybe this, maybe that, but we're going to have to quantify these things and see where the gaps are in terms of how they're spending their time. So there were like, four clinicians for like oh easily over 200 people, easily. I mean, I'm just, I'm actually on the, I'm actually on the conservative end, like in the sense of I'm un, I'm probably under reporting. I can't remember the numbers, you know, off the top of my head, but easily, you know, there were 200, you know, prisoners off the jail. So four people for over for over 200 people so this is what we're talking about here so clearly they're spread thin but the thing was what was so fantastic about um this particular conversation was then the at the end of the meeting the you know the administrator said i don't want you to think i'm an asshole because you know we're not giving you you know more more staff right now we just need the numbers and also and i can't i can't give you we can't give you more money simply because people are saying that they're suffering and so i thought well what can you like so what you know i was just you know my head was exploding at this point point. and of course you know in these obscenely ridiculous situations you have to quote unquote remain professional which is another problem of respectability within the context of this like bullshit that you have to deal with you know like how can you possibly say that you're you know we have to talk about numbers and the way, you know, the clinicians are spending their time. When one clinician in, clinician in particular said, the only time I have time to myself, you know, at this job is when I'm in the bathroom, in the one place where I can possibly be alone. You know, that's when I can have my break. When I can, I can actually relax for a moment is when I'm using the toilet. And I just thought, you know, like here we are in these absurd conditions totally under capitalism. Absurd. Yes. Under capitalism, where people are rationalizing about efficiency, about productivity, about people's uses of time, you know, where are they? You know, why aren't they on the floor? You know, like so all of these ways in which we dehumanize people from from you know this ridiculous workspace to just fundamentally being recalcitrant and unwilling to give people housing, which would fundamentally reduce a lot of other costs as well, because it's about improving quality of life, which is related to, of course, use of drugs, which is related to use of alcohol, which is related to Public health issues. So if you actually provide people with the fundamental thing they need in order to survive, and they're not constantly worried about it, which actually, you know, worry also compromises our immune systems, which is related to, like whole person health which is related to ecological systems which is related to community health but we're unwilling to actually fucking think differently about human life and housing is just so I mean it's just so criminal to me. It so, is criminal <laughs> and
1: I think you're right it's like people are unwilling but I also think they're unable due to Um, Our educational system due to especially the media, the media has the accepted paradigm of capitalism good, socialism bad, you know, helping people bad, only within the confines of capitalism. And I, I worry, actually, that nothing will change until, like, everything breaks down due to global warming because we have... How many bases around the country? 80 bases or 100 bases or 200 or something? America has, like the United States, has so many bases around the world, so nobody can fight with us and question our, quote, moral authority (laughs) about this. For some reason, we think that capitalism is more Christian than, like, sharing and being communicative. Like the Native Americans used to be, so and like right. many other
0: countries are. <laughs> yeah, and many still are. Many yeah. like indigenous people still are, and you know, you know, the communities I grew up in, for all of their, you know, kind of uh, syncretism or kind of blending around Christianity is, you know, my, you know, my family were fundamentally communal people. We yeah. actually yeah. share, and we actually you know, wants to create better living conditions for other people. And, you know, frankly, yeah, I'm going to say housing is an entitlement and it should be an entitlement. Yes, we are entitled to actually basic some decent basic housing. Yes, we are. Where I, you know, where I live right now. Ruth um, was very similar to the apartment I lived in, where when we were in the same apartment building, oh, yeah. you know, the one up on the top floor. Oh, yeah. yeah, it's very similar. I consider that, you know, it's basic seven, I don't know, maybe 70s, 80s architecture, 80s architecture. It's a basic house. Minimal. It's not, yeah, it's not huge. You know, it's, You know, it's structured in a way where it saves space, you know, in some ways. And it could, I would like for it to be a little bit bigger, sure. But fundamentally, I'm not starving. I'm not suffering. You know, I'm not, I don't have these like uber million dollar mansions, you know, around here. I'm renting a decent house. Like, that's all people really need. And if you ask people what they want, I'm pretty sure if people got their heads out of their houses, you know, they, you know, they could address this problem really easily.
1: You know, I think it's a um, choice. Yeah. I think, yeah. I think um, the uh, idea of the American dream is fundamentally brainwashing people. I think because people think the American dream, they think a single family dwelling with a big backyard, two houses. Now they have all the accoutrements, like the the cable and the cell phone, and like maybe vacations. That's the American dream, and and until enough of us can chip away at that idea and re reimagine the American dream to be like this good housing, but maybe shared housing in um, a complex. Mm-hmm. Um, that's more communicative and neighborly um, and not having so much stuff to yourself but having more like um, focus on other
0: things I don't know yeah I mean I feel like I feel like you're you're basically talking about something that um, we touched on maybe last week or the week before, but we're not, you know, I mean, the way people think we, we conceptualize things here. Yes. We conceptualize, you know, Oh, we're populations, housing, this and that. And it's actually, we're not a collection of objects for people to just move around you know, in you know, we're just not pieces to just be moved on a on a chess table. I mean like I feel like that's where this abstraction of human life and this abstraction, this kind of ment this kind of mental affliction, I guess, of (laughs) constantly thinking about resource and resource extraction is one of the fundamental ways in which we've created all of these problems. Like we constantly yes. think about, you know, the objectification of land, the privatization of mm. water, you know, in closing, you know, I literally heard someone talking about real estate on Mars yesterday and I, I was, and I literally, my I, day before yesterday and my, immediate response was what the fuck like actually you can't get shit right here and you're going to talk about colonizing Mars and creating like a whole nother you know realm of real estate it was just very bizarre so we're just trying to escape one planet that you know we brought to ruination to go to another planet and, and wreak havoc there as well. I'm just like, what are we doing?
1: Well, I agree. And, and it's funny because, like, I saw a headline a couple weeks ago. There's this asteroid that has so many minerals on it. They were saying it's worth, like, $12 billion, and now everyone wants to get at it and get yeah. rich from this asteroid. And then the other thing that popped to my mind is um how many times, Nicole, have you heard – The human body referred to as an automobile. And you just like take out one thing and put in another. And we're just like these mindless mechanical like machines. And the human body I mean, we're not talking land or anything else. It's like people see themselves as these like robots. (laughs)
0: Yeah, I mean, and, you know, this goes back to this idea of, like, you know, the Ubermensch, the Superman, you know, and then this is connected to, like, our fixation with technology, and I think we talked about this before, this kind of, we're gonna, you know, transcend the human body, we're, you know, this kind of transhumanist discourse that we're gonna go beyond, you know, our, the human capacity, and, like, you know, Merge, who knows? Merge with machines. I don't know. But, you know, there's all different... And sure, you know, that could be... Yeah, yeah, okay. It's entirely... Who knows? But at the same time, like, fix your shit on this planet. Like, you can't... You can't even... You're not even kind enough. You know, this country is not even kind enough to actually care for people. It's not... We're creating... We've created... You know all kinds of propaganda related to capitalism, where decent housing is an entitlement. Like that is insane to me. How like, and you don't people to ex, you don't expect people to start actually building guillotines in front of other people's houses. Like that is just insane. You don't expect people to talk about you know shit's bullshit like I remember during the Occupy protests I was I was at one and and there was just a sign and I wound up seeing it like all over social media too eventually like some guy was holding a sign that said shit is fucked up and bullshit you know because like what else can you say
1: right no I think (laughs) all those things it's like We have to have like a mass awakening to the reality of what's in front of our face, you know, because philosophically all the philosophers and religious teachers basically say that, you know, we'll get it when we can actually see what's in front of our face, then, then we get it. And it's like, that's what America can't do right now. We, you know, we have all these like sort of, um intellectual like uh we build up this whole intellectual thing and we just are unable to see that here's a person they shouldn't be homeless let's help them it's like yeah. no one can just see it that way
0: yeah i mean like Americans are fantastically good at actually intellectualizing. Intellectualizing. Yeah, I know. I knew exactly. You're, they're fantastic. This is their best defense mechanism. They can talk about things in abstractions. Absolutely. Abstract. And meanwhile, yeah. and meanwhile, you know, the the problem actually gets bigger. I mean, how many times? I think I've told you this too. I don't remember <laughs> if it was in our one of our recorded conversations, or just one of our like, you know sessions off 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 record which how many times have I heard people talk about oh we really need to have this conversation about race no you don't you don't need to have a conversation about race you actually just need to go out and fix it you actually need to diversify your campus. You actually need to to hire people that reflects the population you work with. You cannot keep going on this track of you know giving lips paying lip service and using rhetorical devices to weasel out of situations. Yeah. People will come after you. That yeah. is kind of like I think the causality link is there. So I, you know, I'm all for you go do your sit in. I will be, you know, I can't do all of that all the time. I will do the protest when I can, but I just, I just can't believe that this level of, you know, this is just the basic thing that we need is turned into a political tool um, mm-hmm. to disenfranchise people. And, you know, that's what this country is excellent at doing it, using human needs to as political devices to polarize people. So yep. it's a lot. <laughs> it's really interesting. Yeah. I, I hope they I hope I hope the sit in lasts for a year because at this point we need people who, we need protests that will last for a year, um, because yep. there's nothing left but protesting with the bodies you have, because if they're going to take everything away from, if they can take housing away, they'll take anything, so if that, does that make sense?
1: It does, because, there. you know, we're all, most of us, have no savings left and Mm -hmm. we're all one or two paychecks away from this situation. I mean, I have a good job that I really like, um, but should I lose it? That's it. You know, I'm one or two paychecks away from having to scramble for
0: somewhere to live. (laughs) It's, it's totally, you know, it's just fundamentally unacceptable. This is a, fundamentally unacceptable way to exist in the world and yes and of course people should be um, protesting you know and this is kind of like this is one of the ways in which I protest is to get on here and tell you
1: it's valuable it's, it's valuable a for us you know I really have to say this this is valuable to get there. We have people who listen to us and they'll also understand and maybe they'll say something. So I think just getting getting the word out there in whatever way, you know, people can do art or write or go protest or do podcasts, you know, all of it teaching.
0: Yeah, you know, everybody needs to be protesting and in whatever way they can envision Mm -hmm. for themselves. I mean, there's different ways to um, run resistance. Yep. And yep, if the if you can figure out to, a way to to run resistance within this the, within the machinery of the gangster state, <laughs> then by all means do so. I mean, I'm not, oh, I'm oh my not God, the first it's so person. True. I'm only <laughs> laughing because it's true. I'm not the first person who's called this, like, a, you know, a gangster state. Chris Hedges calls, you know, the United States a mafia state.
1: We are you know, a mafia state. He's a, and he's completely
0: right. Yeah. He's completely yep. right. I mean, yeah. we enforce you know,
1: through bombing all over the world
0: bombing and you know extortion and running people out of housing and bullying i mean we're just embargoes you know keeping people
1: from getting their food and medicine you know completely that's a tactic
0: yeah Yeah. i mean and i'm gonna say you know biden has had his hand in bullying people for like the longest time from and you know he like way back in the day and chris hedges talks about this in his um He does this, he did a really fantastic, you know, speech to an empty, an empty hall called The Politics of Cultural Despair. And he just ran down a list of ways in which Biden was just basically a gangster for the rich, you know, from, from basically, you know, him, you know, supporting and helping to facilitate the proliferation of certain credit card companies i think it was in wilmington delaware to student loan to student loans and saying and also um you know pressuring supporting the idea that student loans couldn't be written off in bankruptcy you know i That's personally him. that That's personally
1: affected him. me when i took out my student loans they were not they said, "Oh, you, if you can't pay them, you can go ahead and file bankruptcy." Well, during Biden's time, he did away with that. So now I cannot get rid of my student loans, and I can't pay them.
0: Right, right. I mean, and it, you know, if you default on your student loans, then your—I mean, like your your credit score is just—it's more than credit. They'll seize yeah, they'll you, they'll seize
1: your garnish
0: your wages
1: and all kinds of oh, shit. Oh my god, I mean, it's terrible. And then you have to go file for restructuring. Right. You know, right. and it's, it's like terrible.
0: I right? mean, and it's terrible. It's terrifying. These are the kinds of like cruel and inhumane policies that lead to Very people, cruel. you know, being on the street. And then we haven't even spoken, we haven't even touched on the fact that, you know, undocumented people who come here have to like suffer through another like bullshit inhumane system you know like these are just i mean all the different ways in which you can get screwed over through this mafia state you know i mean mm-hmm. like it's 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 a gangster state he's right and if you read his work if you read you know i think it was one of my favorite books is by chris hedges is um i think it was the death of the liberal class um Amer you know, war is a force that gives us meaning. He did really fantastic um work around that. And his most recent book, America the Farewell Tour, um, which I couldn't finish reading because it was just like too it was too close to home in the sense that what he was um what he was writing about specifically around the opioid crisis. You know, again, I'm calling these manufactured crises, but oh, the yeah. opioid opioid crisis, the health epidemic, you know, this epidemic, opioid epidemic was really, again, you know, various forms of class warfare and, you know, creating, I see it, you know, the way, you know, black and brown populations in the United States are are basically confined to certain spaces, um, like for example, certain parts of D.C., certain parts of New York, L.A. You know, the L.A. You know, L.A. is another oh, fantastic oh, example. Yeah. Of you know, I personally don't know this, but I ha- have worked with people who um, describe L- L.A. as like an internal colony. So you know, this internal colonization, you know in anthropology we call it endocolonization like colonization mm. from within wow um, has happened for decades but it hasn't been happening to the people to the middle class you know but we can't but this country constantly cannibalizes certain groups of people so that the wealthier classes can be preserved. So it's this constant cannibalization, endo colonization process where we're just feeding off of certain groups of people, at you know, to make in order for other people to live. So, hmm. yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. You know, that's kind of like where my head's been at today. I oh, was very interesting. Thinking, yeah. yeah, I was already thinking about. Um, you know the housing issue and then my friend Melina sent me that that podcast I'll link I'll link it in the, in the show notes for sure okay
1: sounds good you had something you were going to read oh
0: yeah you know I was going to so I if we I was, have time I watched, yeah I think we have time um, I wanted to share a clip from Chris Hedges and I want and I, I'm going to see if let me know if you can't hear it but if you can hear it, just stay quiet. But if you can't hear it, let me know. Okay. Okay. But I want I want you all to listen to Chris Hedges talk about what are we voting for when we vote for Biden. Okay. All right. Hang in there. Sit tight. It's a wild ride. Oh, you can't hear? Can you hear it? Mm-hmm. No. Okay. Well, that basically means that I'm going to have to find a clip. Download the clip um, and clip it into the uh, into the into the show itself. Great. But basically, he talks about your voting for all of these things that we just talked about just now. Yeah, you're voting. People
1: don't for- realize that. Yeah. It's so maddening. My friends like I I have friends here in Seattle who are liberal, progressive but they just don't understand that. And it's kind of maddening.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I just, I mean, I'm, I, I definitely feel like I live in an alternate universe where I live in a city. I live in a city that professes to be liberal and they were so relieved and so grateful for Biden to quote, quote, win. And I'm just like, nothing's gonna change like, nothing nothing will change. change
1: nothing will in fact some things i think he will do worse because i think he's going to be more of a hawk yeah more protective of the sort of empire of america mm-hmm. and probably will be some bombing that wasn't before
0: right and you know this idea that um we, you know, we can move the left is just, you know, I, you know, that's a pipe dream. It's a pipe dream. It is a
1: pipe dream. Uh, That's one basic thing I learned in all my
0: Marxism
1: classes that the idea is in Marxism that the Democratic Party is not reformable.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's irredeemable. I, you know, it needs to it's a giant dumpster fire like, <laughs> dumpster fire. it's a giant dumpster fire and uh, just leave it just leave it there I to burn. Know. let's you do know? something else let's do like nina
1: turner for president at, in the people's party i think that's I, like the hope for 2024
0: yeah i don't even i don't even know if i can even hope For anything presidential. I'm just like down with it all. Oh, I know. I mean, like, on the local level, I mean, like, look what I'm talking about on the local level. People buy into, you know, these ideas that, you know, things have to stay the same. The local level here, (laughs) your people are sitting on the streets protesting, you know, this manufactured housing crisis. You know, so.
1: It's insane. It's insane. We need to keep saying
0: it. And then I
1: think there's hope because um there's the internet and before people would just get their news through the radio and then the TV but now there's the internet so you know if facebook doesn't completely shut down the voices or all the other social media there's some there's some truth out there that people can access beyond what's you know spoon-fed them
0: yeah for sure. And I feel like, you know, I know we're coming to the end of the hour, but I am gonna read this this piece from France Fanon because I Great. feel like people need to hear th- people need to hear like what's what what needs to happen. Um, and I hope it this doesn't go on too long, but I'll read I'll read this.
1: Read, read. Because
0: yeah. and this talks about, you know decolonization you know which from my perspective is, is that is about ending imperialism you know and you know colonization is about basically seizing stealing and enacting violence against people who you know are vulnerable to the evils of empires. so you know and that's like Uh, That's basically a very kind of generalized way of thinking about it. But at least it's a starting place. But here, and here's what Fanon says literally in his first chapter around what, what decolonization entails. He says here, decolonization, which sets out to change the order of the world, is obviously a program of complete disorder. But it cannot come as a result of magical practices, nor of a natural shock, nor of a friendly understanding. Decolonization, as we know, is a historical process. That is to say that it cannot be understood, it cannot become intelligible nor clear to itself, except in the exact measure that we can discern the movements which give it historical form and content decolonization is the meeting of two forces opposed to each other by their very nature, which in effect, owe their originality to that sort of substantification, which results from and is nourished by the situation in the colonies. Their first encounter was marked by violence and their existence together, that is to say the exploitation of the native by the settler was carried on by dint of a great array of bayonets and cannon. The settler and the native are old acquaintances. In fact, the settler is right when he speaks of knowing them well, for it is the settler who has brought the native into existence and who perpetuates his existence. The settler owes the fact of his very existence, that is to say, his property, to the colonial system. So... And then he says later on is that decolonization is only um, can only happen through a certain level of of violence in fact you know he talks about the colonial world being cut in two and that um decolonization is putting into practice the sentence of the last shall be first and the first shall be last you know so really it's about it's about this complete disorder this kind of inverting power structures and it seems that the only way to invert power structures the only way it can feel it the experience itself must lie somewhere in violence because the colonial master only, only communicates through violence. Like that's like, what else is left? If you can't actually ask for your needs in terms of like respectable ways of communicating, what else is left? Yeah, You know, so no wonder people are building guillotines and talking about, you know, 90, like they've been, as they've been talking about for a very long time, you know, the 99%, you know, this goes back to our discussion of every 10 to 12 years, something happens from WTO, you know, to the 2008 crisis. And now, you know, to now we're at 2020. So we're going to keep having these, these issues. Yep.
1: And it's going to come to yeah. a head. It's going to yeah. come to an increasing head, and um, yeah, we should discuss that further. And then, uh, yeah, there's so
0: much to discuss. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's kind of interesting how you know there was nothing really. We talked. We t- I mean, we had we had an interesting conversation last week, but at the same time, there's. Sometimes you need a break to talk mm-hmm. about something else and then you have more energy to really talk mm-hmm. about these things that are just taxing taxing all of us in different ways. So, yeah. More to come on that. And I know we're we're a little over the hour now. So what's what's the last words for you, Ruth? Last words are
1: um one of the South American countries last night, I guess there were some headlines they set fire to their main building, their legislature or something. Uh, I don't know if it was Guatemala or some, but anyway, I'll read about it. But yeah, they're, they're fed up down there.
0: So they're, And, you know, fight the power. That's all <laughs> I can say. Fight the power at this point. Chant all this nonsense down because yep. really the only, the only way we're going to find Uh, you know envision a world that's equitable is if we created ourselves yep that's
1: true okay all right
0: everybody until next time yeah well take care so i'm attaching the clip for chris hedges and it's a two to three minute clip called from the politics of cultural despair so i'm just adding it here to the end of the podcast so you can hear for yourself what, why we thought this clip from Chris Hedges was so important.
2: But voting for Biden and the Democratic Party means you do vote for something. You vote to endorse the humiliation of courageous women such as Anita Hill who confronted their abusers. You vote for the architects of the endless wars in the Middle East. You vote for the apartheid state of Israel. You vote for the wholesale surveillance of the public by government intelligence agencies and the abolition of due process and habeas corpus. You vote. For austerity programs, including the destruction of welfare and cuts to social security, you vote for NAFTA, free trade deals, deindustrialization, a real decline in wages, the loss of hundreds of thousands of manufacturing jobs, and the offshoring of those jobs to underpaid workers who toil in sweatshops in countries such as Mexico, China or Vietnam. You vote for the assault on teachers and public education and the transfer of federal funds to for-profit and Christian charter schools. You vote for the doubling of our prison population, the tripling and quadrupling of sentences, and the huge expansion of crimes meriting the death penalty. You vote for militarized police who gun down poor people, often of color, with impunity. You vote against the Green New Deal and immigration reform. You vote for the fracking industry. You vote for limiting a woman's right to abortion and reproductive rights. You vote for a segregated public school system in which the wealthy receive educational opportunities, and poor people of color are denied a chance. You vote for punitive levels of student debt and the inability to free yourself of those debt obligations even if you file for bankruptcy. You vote for deregulating the banking industry and the abolition of Glass-Steagall. You vote for the for-profit insurance and pharmaceutical corporations and against universal health care. You vote for defense budgets that consume more than half of all discretionary spending. You vote for the use of unlimited oligarchic and corporate money to buy our elections. You vote for a politician who during his time in the Senate abjectly served the interests of MBNA, one of the largest independent credit card companies in the world, headquartered in Delaware, which also employed Biden's son, Hunter. Biden was one of the principal architects of the wars in the Middle East, where we have squandered upwards of $7 trillion and destroyed or extinguished the lives of millions of people.